Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999, coming at you mostly from uptown locations here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Felisco. And with us today is uh, film critic and author Jason Bailey. Jason, thank you so much to talk about one of our finest filmmakers, <laughs> Worst Films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you for having me guys thank you I, so much i love sydney lumet like deeply yeah. deeply jason are you a, are you a lifelong new yorker or? uh no actually I've, I've lived here for about 16 years now uh and then my 30 before that were in wichita kansas so oh. i've lived a life of extreme oh, wow. cool okay. cool all right yeah. i think um I think I mean, Lumet's for, up there as one of the great New York filmmakers. He's the best. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he's, Absolutely. He's the best. He's, he's to me. It's not even a question. Uh, and Sidney Lumet's New York is uh, he doesn't he doesn't romanticize it yet. I find his depiction of New York somewhat romantic. Yep. Um, and I think he, he he's uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, I think he I think he understands the rhythms of the city and is able to presented on film in a way that no one else really can accept the only what? other good New York filmmaker, Spike Lee. But it's a different part well, of New Scorsese's York. Scorsese's pretty good, right? Scorsese's pretty good. Scorsese's not, he doesn't, yes, but it's not a When ton he's of, in New York. He's it's not, not a always ton of New York yeah. stuff that he does, you're right? You're right? You're right. Yeah. Like, if you think about it, Scorsese, yes, Scorsese There's a couple, like, quintessential New York movies that yeah. he's made, but filmography... Sidney Lumet lives in New York. Spike yeah, Lee right. lives in New York. 
Yeah. You know, Woody Allen obviously lives in New York and there are a few sure. other guys sure. who, who really, you know, just look at the city as a tapestry, but yep. um, this, the, the Lumette version of New yeah. York uh, it's, is truly the thing I'm always trying to capture in everything I, I write in New York. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would argue it's probably the best thing about, about this movie is perhaps Definitely. its depiction of New York. Like, and, and by that, I mean, and this isn't even really much of a New York movie, quote unquote. It just, it's, it's almost incidental that it takes place in New York for all in a, in a weird way. But I do think that um, when he does, I mean, there's a lot of location work, you know, Kenny and I have talked about this in previous episodes, but like, you know, shooting on location is very expensive, very difficult to do. Um, yep. And, you know, but it adds so much. So when you see, you know, Gloria at a payphone, um, you just feel the city around her. Um, it adds so so much. I would say it's it's Absolutely. the it's the richest part of this movie, probably. You know, I so I did a little bit of research on this film because there's not a ton of stuff out there on it. Uh, shockingly, um, this <laughs> film sort of doesn't really exist. But when Lumet was asked why he directed the film, he good question. He re- he replied, I like to work all the time, and if it couldn't be a good script, I'll take a fair one. That's hilarious. It's wow. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty honest. That's, that's the candor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, Kenny and I are big fans of, of the Blank Check podcast, which we've mentioned many times on this podcast, but um, they are apprehensive to do Lamette. I think they've spoken about this a couple of times because he wasn't really a legacy guy. You know what I mean? Right. He really was a, I don't want to say punch in, punch out, because I do think that he dedicated himself quite hard to a handful of the movies that he did. But it does feel like at a certain point in his career, there was sort of this moment where it's like, I want to work. I want to keep myself busy, yep. um, you know, and it tapers off. His last film, which unfortunately I didn't get a chance to watch before this podcast, I really wanted to, was... Uh, Is it Before yeah, the Devil Knows Your Dead? Before the Devil Knows Your Dead, It's an incredible movie. It's a tremendous movie. So, like, he ended yeah. on a high. It, it, that movie doesn't even make sense to me, though. Like, right. because Lumet, Lumet's 70s, early 80s are... Unst- untouchable. Unstoppable. Yes. Just like, yeah. untouchable. I don't think people recognize that all of these incredible... You know, it's like... the. There's something about the way Lu- yeah. there's something about the way Lumet is looked at, um, you know, by I, I think real film nerds understand this, but you know, the public in general don't. That like you think of Jaws, Indiana Jones, E.T., Spielberg, Spielberg really jumps to the top of your head. You think of sure. Taxi Driver, Mean Streets, you know, uh, After Hours, Goodfellas, etc. Scorsese jumps to the top of your head. But when you think of Dog Day Afternoon, you think of Network. I don't think that Lumet jumps to the tops of people's heads as much as like other elements of those movies do. And his, his seventies are fucking crazy, crazy. The the things he did in 82, right. And and Prince of the city, I think is 80. I mean, like it's terrific. Yep. It's well, I, yeah, so please go ahead, Jason. Sorry. No, no, I I thought about this a lot about why he's not held in that same esteem as some of his seventies contemporaries. Um, and I think it's a couple of things. I think, Kenny, you really do pinpoint that, that it's, he's, his style is fairly invisible. 
Um, he's not a showman in the way that like Scorsese or Spielberg are. So he does have a tendency to put, you know, performance ahead of technique. So for example, when you think of Dog Day Afternoon, like you were just saying, you think of Al Pacino right. because that's just like tour de force. When you think of network, you think of Patty Shayevsky because that script yes. is just so impeccable. So I think that's part of it. But I think it also, when you look at the filmography as we're doing, it also becomes very clear that because his technique was always appropriate and and always always present, but was not did, was not embedded with those flourishes. Yeah. He was very much at the mercy of a great script, and at a certain point in the mid '80s or so, he stopped getting great scripts. That's so, so true. You know, if you can be you can be a great director and have a Patty Shayevsky script, you're going to make a great movie. You can be a great director and get a great David Mamet script like The Verdict, you're going to get a great movie. But you can be a great director and get like a script like this by the guy who did Burlesque and you're not going to get a great movie because yeah. he doesn't have the 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 sort of stylistic panache to uh to cover up the 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 issues with that script. I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like, and this film, we're talking about Gloria today, guys. Um, everyone's favorite. Oh God, did we not mention that? No, it's fine. We they, they, they'll title. see it if they They'll know. They get it. They know. I do think that, you know, this was one of those movies where I hit play. I have not seen, unfortunately, the... Um, the Cassavetes film. So forgive okay. me. I have not seen that. We'll talk about we'll talk, that. I, I, I'm hoping, I'm assuming that Jason, you have seen the, the, the Cassavetes film. Um, a lot of times. So this is a movie that no one really asked for. Yep. So the, on top of everything else, you're remaking what is, you know, film scholars are arguably one of Cassavetes' best films, or at least a, a beloved film of his. Um, you're casting Sharon Stone at a time in her career where it's, interesting i i actually think and and kenny and i were kind of texting back and forth about this a little bit because um i find sharon stone kind of fascinating like her career is really interesting you know when when you think of her in the sort of 90s basic instinct obviously puts her on the map and makes her this i mean i don't even know she's an icon and yet at the same time, she was also in a, in a sort of genre of filmmaking that kind of doesn't really exist anymore, which is sort of the, the sex thriller, I guess, to some yep. degree or another. Um, a little bit. Yeah. A little she bit was, of that, right? She was, bigger than, she was bigger than movies for a minute. Like, right. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Like she, no, yeah. I, I revisited Basic Instinct very recently because I wrote an anniversary thing for mm-hmm. the Times because it just turned 30. Right. Um, and, you know, we were all like, I remember I saw that movie in the theaters when it came out. And I think we were all so horny for her that we were not fully conscious of what an incredible performance that is. Yep. Like, yep. Yep. I yep. mean, one of the great femme fatales, not just ever. of like neo-noir, but like ever. Yeah. Uh, and for him, directs movie, the shit out of that movie too. For directs the shit out of it. Yeah. And oh. the movie, but the, like the movie simply does not work mm-hmm. without her. Mm-hmm. Like, number one, it's not half as entertaining because it's just Michael Douglas doing his Michael Douglas shit. Yep. But number two, you actually, like, you have to believe that he will literally risk his life because he wants to fuck her so bad. <laughs> like, and to put across that kind of overt sexuality sure. without, like, pandering in yeah. sort of a gross way to yeah. the camera, I mean, it's a really tricky really phenomenal performance which unfortunately she can't really replicate no and it feels like people kind of oh i think oh i think i mean you know we don't need to talk about casino too much but 
She's uh, great at Casino. But I think great I think Casino, casino is 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 the the Top next step. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it, like that is yeah. what you do yeah. with yep. so with someone who's graduating from those kind of you know totally. B picture films, elevated B picture. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. To you know, I think that she kills it as Ginger. Kills it. Kills it. Kills it. And it's the same exact logic, Jason. It's just that the yeah. movie is built on the idea that Robert De Niro will do anything, <laughs> anything to keep this woman happy until he won't. Um, yeah. until he until he no longer can. Not in, yeah. like yeah. he. I think he would have died for her, but he's not going to be destitute. So. <laughs> Uh, which yeah, is kind of how I, I feel. So. <laughs> I do think that there's something like if you just to quickly kind of look at her at the I would say the the peak of. Her I, I want to say I want to say one more yeah, thing about yeah, yeah. I want one more thing about Sharon Stone that I think always gets lost in the sauce. People talk about her. Um, nobody in film history has ever ever looked better than she looks in uh, Total Recall. The in Total Recall. I can't believe a woman who looks like that exists. Um, And I, and I think that like, you know, it's, it's not a huge role, obviously, but like, there is like that seed of like, we can do something with this right here. You know, it's, she is a beautiful, beautiful woman. And there is something also very dangerous about her. And I think this is a stupid fucking comment, but I'm gonna make it anyway. Okay. She's the 90s version of Grace Kelly or Liz Taylor. These like people whose persona, they're great actresses, obviously, Mm -hmm. but these people whose personas and the kind of specter of them and the public consciousness completely outstripped who they were on screen. Mm -hmm. Yep. Kenny, I read so many embarrassing profiles of Sharon Stone from the nineties when I was researching this piece, like, like nobody, like nobody knew what the fuck, how to write about her in a way that wasn't just weird. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I know it's, I know it's an insane uh, comparison, but we did Jennifer's body for our 2009 podcast. And it's the exact same thing with, uh, with Megan Fox, who is that version in the, in in the two thousands. And I mean, I don't know if we really have someone like that in this moment, but I, I would, Almost I say I got a horrible take. I almost think like Kristen Stewart is that right now. We're That's like interesting. where she's an incredible actress, and these performances that have been kind of under the radar. And Kristen Stewart's stance have kind of been like, oh no, no, she's actually the best actress of her generation. But people like almost have this like, wait, but isn't she just your Miley Cyrus? Like, isn't she just like films Miley Cyrus? And people don't really know how to handle that she's killing it as princess die. So yeah, there is something, there is something to that for sure. I, I, you know, I, Sharon Stone's also sort of the, and I think we're all kind of circling this, the personification of the decade she existed in as well. Right. And I think that that was so hard to kind of bottle that I think like you look at, you know, she follows basic instinct with sliver, you know, not a great movie. One of the all time Um, worst. One of the, then she does Intersection, The Specialist in 94. Also kind of two movies that don't really exist. She has Quick of the Dead, which is Excellent. an underrated Sam Raimi movie. And she's fucking great in it. She's so good. But, no, but nobody saw it <laughs> no when one it came saw out. It. And, so, and, she's yeah. so good she's in so good it. It's it. like that movie. Yeah. That's another yeah. one that's like, you get it. Yeah. Like, Sam, yeah. you got it. Like, 100%. And, and Casino is yeah. the same year. She's got Quick and yeah. the Daddy Casino in 95. And then it's kind of just, it gets, it's Diabolique, it's Last Dance, Sphere, 
the mighty, like just, it just gets away from her. Now in 99, Kenny, yeah. we did do an episode on the movie, the muse. It has been lost to time. We probably will have to went. come. We probably have to come back and do it again. We probably but. will have to do something with it again. Um, but we did do an episode and she's funny in that movie. Like, She's, she is funny in maybe Albert Brooks's worst movie. It's not a great like, movie. Quite, quite possibly. But yeah. she is I, funny. I think, she's yeah. got fucking, yeah. she's got skills. Like, yeah, she's here, got, here's yeah. the recap of that episode. Uh, that movie stinks. <laughs> yeah, the movie sucks. And I love Albert Brooks so deeply. And it's so sad to do a bad and Albert And your friend Brooks. Wes Nickerson, who obviously you love as well. Who, who, who one of my favorite of people in the universe <laughs> who's going to have to come back to redo The Muse two years <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, we honestly did it. I mean, what, four years ago, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, it was it, one it was, of our first. So I know. Long, it's so, so weird. Ago, but, yeah. but it's a weird movie, but she's yeah. in on the joke. And yes. she's, it's, I honestly, Kenny, we've had this conversation about a couple actors, mostly actresses, it seems, because Hollywood doesn't know what to do with women. Um, they didn't know what to, they didn't know what they had with Sharon Stone. And right. unfortunately, it's one of those things where you look back and you're like, they just, they just kind of did her dirty. Like they're just, it's the rules at a certain point, they were just like, well, she got her Oscar nomination for casino, you know, and then they just didn't know what to do with her after that. Well, and I think the, I think it's also important to note that she gets that Oscar nomination. She doesn't win. No. Um, she should have, but she didn't. And that's then I, walking, who won? that's a, that's Susan Sarandon. No, cause she was? was, she was up for supporting. supporting. It was 95. I don't, I don't remember who, who I think it was best. I'm going to look no, it up. But... It was supporting. I'm positive. It was a very calculated, like that was seen any. as the more, the more winnable, um, uh, category. If memory serves, I, I'm, I could I, be I'm wrong. I'm looking at it right it's now. Happened before. Memory and serves, yeah. Jason. It is don't best worry. Actress. Is Susan it? Sarandon, Elizabeth Shue, Sharon Stone, Meryl Streep, Emma Thompson were the nominees. What? And That's it was a tough Best feel. Actress. Um, Memory does not serve. I was totally wrong. Sorry. But, wow. But my, my mistake. That was Susan Sarandon's. That was going to be the one. She was never going to lose that one, I don't think. Wait a second. She was nominated for Best Actress for that movie? Yes. Yes. <laughs> for Dead Man Walking. You're talking no, no, about no, 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 Sharon Stone. Oh, yeah. Jason, my entire yeah. life, I thought it was I, best I, I supporting. Thought so too. And I also, thought so it's too. a supporting role. So. <laughs> it is. They would have. Who were the. Okay. Now, who were the nominees? I'm in looking supporting it up right act? now. Because um, I feel like uh, she would have cruised into God, the. God, I feel like an yeah, asshole. In Bill. Sorry. No, not. I don't give a shit. But uh, yeah, supporting. No, it was great winner. Excellent winner. Mira Sorvino for, for Mighty Aphrodite. Mighty Aphrodite. Uh, up against Joan Allen for Nixon. Who Tough was category, yeah. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan for Apollo 13. Mayor Whittingham for Georgia and Kate Winslet for Sense Sensibility. Also a tough category. A tough year. 95 was a she tough, tough won. year. She would have won if she was in support. Dude, the, yeah. the best actress was tough, too. That's a tough yeah. nomination. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Those, are, but those are five actresses who, if they had won for that year, people would be like, okay, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I feel yeah. that she spent a fair amount of the 90s resuming that pursuit of the Oscar. Correct. I feel like Correct. Last Dance is trying oh, to be yeah. like a, oh, yeah. a tough, you know, uh, de-glammed, you know, Almost serious like monster. Thing. Almost her monster. Well, it's, it's, yeah. gender, it's gender reverse uh, Dead Man Walking without, yes, the, exactly. without the gravitas. It's the, it's 100%. The, the, the funniest thing about Last Dance is it's the joke movie from the player. 
Yeah. It's, it's that exact movie. <laughs> the end of the player. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I forgot. That, oh, it totally yeah. is. That's really yeah. funny. I always and love then, when, like, when, when there's a joke movie like that or the three from uh, Adaptation yeah, that three. someone goes and makes the real version real of the yeah. joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think it's. And then yeah, please, the, go ahead. The, mighty, the Mighty is like. Also. supporting role in a serious Miramax movie yep. like that was that was going to be her her best supporting totally. actress not was the mighty the Angelina and Jolie this movie? movie this movie as well this, this is also chasing an Oscar right Gina, Gina Rollins nominated was nominated yeah. yes for best actress for the original version this is, so I think that explains maybe part part yeah. of why she did it but the, I don't know here I all right so all this go- I love talking about Sharon Stone and I love talking about gorgeous actresses of the last 50 years, like very much so. Um, I think she's so bad in this movie. It's not a good performance. And I think good. it's, and I think it like, I want, I mean, well, was has- anyone directed in this movie is my question. To yes. No, that, that is okay. <laughs> I, I have a whole list of complaints in my notes, complaints with performances. And then the last thing is Lumet really falling down on the job here. Like, First of all, everyone has a terrible accent. Terrible. Every like Jeremy I don't Northam's know accent is what is that? Awful. Well, he's my but least like, favorite actor in film history. So you know but you can't do so many ninety-nine movies with him. Four movies, four miserable <laughs> oh Northam performances. Oh God. He's, but like Bonnie Bedelia's doing a bad Brooklyn yeah. accent. Sharon Stone's accent is over the top. And t- I took the rap for you. I like it's awful. Oh, what yeah. the fuck accent is George C. Scott doing? Like, they also, I don't know what any oh. of the dialect work is. In There's a movie. lot of stuff that I really don't like. I, honestly, to me, like the cringiest moment too, of the movie was the kid calling Bonnie Bedelia ugly. Yeah. Who, like, I watched, really? I watched They Shoot Horses, Don't They, pretty recently. Yeah. yeah. He's the most. Yeah. Beautiful woman, like ever. (laughs) I mean, this is one of those movies where, from the jump, it's pretty clear that Lumet's just going through the motions. Oh yeah, but it it also kind of so when I hit play on this movie and it starts in media res essentially where you're in her jail cell and she's looking out the window and it's actually like I thought I had like I thought I'd accidentally press play on Last Dance. I'm like, what the fuck? There's that, but. Also, there was a moment. It's a nice tableau. It's a nice shot, and the whole prison sequence. I was like, "Is this movie good?" And then it immediately goes right off the rails. Like from the second that the credit font shows up, which is some fucking terrible, hacky red kind of scrawled Ugh. weird font. I was just like, "Oh no!" Like we're, we're there's 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 nowhere to. It, it's it's brutal. But let me. I want to give just a little bit of context for listeners because obviously no one saw this movie. After serving three years in prison, covering her gangster's boyfriend, her gangster boyfriend Kevin, played by Jeremy Northam, Gloria, played by Sharon Stone, returns to New York City for the money she was promised. Inside Kevin's base of operations, base of operations, uh, she finds uh, seven-year-old Nikki, whose family has been killed. Nikki is hanging onto a computer disk that incriminates the gang. Kevin refuses to play pay Gloria, so she steals Nikki and the evidence on the run in the city the cynical ex-convict and young boy grow close gloria opened on january 22nd 1999 against varsity blues patch adams a civil action at first sight and the thin red line some holdovers from 2000 there right or sorry from 98 that is uh it would go on to make 4.2 million dollars on a 30 million dollar budget how did they spend 30 million dollars on this movie i this mean movie should have cost fucking nothing be. All that location shooting was oh. I'm sure, a big, big check. And I'm sure, I'm sure Sharon got a nice big check. She was still drawing a nice big check. Oh, at that 100%. Point. She's getting what? Yeah. Probably seven? 
six, yeah. seven million dollars, probably seven to ten, like I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the bomb report uh, wrote something about this uh, box office, which I think is is very apt. Uh, veteran director Sidney Lumet helmed this major critical and commercial failure, a pointless remake of John Cassavetti's 1980 picture. The budget for Gordy was thirty million. It was financed by Mandalay Pictures, which was offset some of their risk on this stinker through foreign pre-sales, which kicked off at the American film market in February of '97. So this movie oh is probably shot in '96. Okay, and then in '97 they go out to try to sell it. Summit was tapped to handle the additional sales. It goes to Cannes in '97. Obviously, doesn't win anything at Cannes. Mandalay, which had been at Sony at the time, basically picks up the distribution for it. It was announced for a summer 98 release. It was pushed back to January's dumping ground of January 22nd, 99, uh, where it's only release. Buzz was largely negative, obviously. Knowing that they had a total misfire, Sony did not give Gloria for critics or reviews that eventually posted, which were miserable. The movie was dead on arrival, placing 15th. Uh, Wow. Then they those that showed up opening weekend gave Gloria a toxic C plus cinema score. It's saying sixty one percent to eight hundred thousand dollars the following session, and then promptly lost most of its theater count. Its brief domestic run closed off at around four point one million dollars. Uh, Sony would see returned about two point two million after theaters take blah blah blah. Um, it made eight hundred thousand dollars overseas. It's got fourteen percent from on tomatoes on from critics, thirty percent from audiences, and the movie received negative reviews. Stone was. Not Nominated for a Razzie, Kenny and I, our favorite, uh, obviously our favorite. We do love the Razzies. We love the Razzies, where she lost to, and I still can't fucking believe that Heather Donahue for the Blair Witch Project was given a Razzie. She's great in that movie. Um, But all of this is just to say that this movie was a turd. This movie was a turd (laughs) from the jump. Um, It's made in 96. It gets dumped in January of 99. Um, And you can see why. It's also a tonal misfire, too. Because there's moments where you're just like, like the one that really kind of jumps out at me was the car chase, which was bizarre on so many <laughs> levels, like kind of comedic, kind of terrifying, kind of right. just, just utterly bizarre and looked quite frankly, expensive to shoot. So oh, yeah. you're just like, what, what were the goals here? What was anybody really doing? Right. And also goes from Midtown to Washington Heights in about four seconds flat, which is like, <laughs> gee, I yeah. know no one really sure, gets sure, hung sure, up on yeah. geographic yeah. impossible, yeah. but I like, I used to live in Washington Heights, so I'm very aware of, sure. of that shit. And I'll talk about if, that. If anybody, if anybody should know better. It's, well, yes. It's Cindy Lumet. You know? <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So, okay. So let's, but let's talk please, about the original please. just a little bit. Please. Kenny, have you seen, have you seen the No, Cassidy? I haven't. And I okay. love okay. Cassidy's. I just have to All right. It. So I revisited the original, which I've seen several times, mm-hmm. but I revisited Gloria 1980 on Laserdisc. Oh, wow. Laserdisc. That's a great look. Just, last, just last week. For those who can't see it, uh, we, we're looking For those at who can't see it, join the fucking Patreon. You can see it on the Patreon. Okay. No, uh, I have a friend uh, in Baltimore who knows I love this movie and that I just got a laser displayer. I mean, can I just say that the, like cover a dollar. That, the cover of that Laserdisc is better yep. than this entire movie. Okay. Yep. It's yep. just. That's it's true. fucking Gina Rollins looking like a straight up badass holding a gun in a black dress. She just uh, anyway, continue, please. Yeah. Here's the uh, here's the Blu-ray cover. Also, like, also how just, do you not God, look at her, man? Yeah, she look looks. Oh, yeah. Look, she's, look yeah. At so, yeah, I own it on Blu-ray and I've I've seen it many times over the years. Okay. I revisited it on Laserdisc because I wanted to watch the new Laserdisc. Um, here's the thing about me and that movie. It is my actual favorite John Cassavetes oh, wow. movie, okay. Okay. which is sort of blasphemy among most 
serious film types because you know his best movie is woman under the influence or love streams or husbands or faces but like yeah and and i love i love all of those movies as you can see i own the the criterion box set criterion box set of yes thank you i told you i brought visual aids um (laughs) i love casavetes yeah i do think he can be a little fucking indulgent right and those movies are kind of a trial and i've seen all of them once or twice i've seen gloria like eight times because there's something about working within the confines of genre yeah and there's also something about the fact that this is a script that he initially did not write to direct. Mm-hmm. He wrote as a commercial sale to finance his weird indie mm-hmm. movies. It sold to Columbia. Columbia cast Jenna Rollins in it. And then she asked him to direct it. Wow. And that was how he ended up doing it. But as a result of the fact that it's a studio picture with these, this sort of commercial mindedness to it, I feel like it curbs some of his not great instincts while preserving so much of what's great about him as a storyteller, as a screenwriter, as a director. Well, can I ask you a question? Not to cut you off, but Mm. um, Mm. plot wise, are these two films similar? I mean, or does this deviate from his his movie? The broad strokes are similar. Okay. Okay. Um, all I was going to say sort of right, in, in, in terms, no, 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 no. It's okay. Um, in terms of general comparison, what I think is especially silly then about remaking this movie mm-hmm. is what made it special was not the plot. Right, right, right. <laughs> it was the Casavetti's touch. It was General Roland's performance. It was all the things you cannot recapture, even if you're a great filmmaker like Sidney Lumet mm-hmm. in a remake. So, and also the changes that are made to the script are largely terrible. Like there are so many poor choices that I'm sure were this screenwriter, Stephen Anton, uh, feeling like he was putting his own stamp on it or whatever. But like it's, it, it makes it so much, so much less grounded in, in reality, grounded in a, a recognizable world than the Casavetti's is. Well, it's, you know, when it is interesting, because this is again, and we've, we've talked about this a fair amount, Kenny, but like, one of those like on paper could have been great situations, right? Like if Lou Met showed up to like, you know, to fucking do this, um, there, there, there could have been something interesting in a revisioning of something that Casavetes had done, right? Like I think about the fact that if like today, if, if, if Steven Soderbergh decided for whatever reason he wanted to make a remake of Gloria, I'd be interested, right? Like I'd yeah. be sort of like, okay, like what are you bringing to that? Now, the fundamental flaw here is this script is not great. So on top of all of that, you've got, you know, you've got rickety DNA to work from. And then you've got a director who isn't showing up. The actors are clearly kind of directing themselves. Adrift, yeah. So it's just, it, it, I mean, that, that's obviously a, a recipe for disaster. But, but on paper, Sidney Lumet's deciding to remake a John Cassavetes film. It's the weirdest doesn't sound thing. like a, it's weird, but it also, I mean, it kind of piques your interest a little bit, like, right? I mean, yeah. isn't there a little I don't bit think of, it did. You know? I mean, no, 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 not me. I, yeah. at, the, at the time, it just, even in 99 as a 17-year-old and sure. having a little, a little understanding of film history, mm-hmm. it was gross. It, it, <laughs> it, it had a weird yeah. kind of like... Is he trying to top one of his peers, right, basically? Right, right. He, I mean, first off, I'm pretty sure Lumet's older than Cassavetes. So, uh, and, you know, 
while they're both brilliant filmmakers, they operated on different planes throughout oh. their careers, right? Mm-hmm. Cassavetes was working on million dollar or less budgets. Sidney Lumet's working on $20 million budgets at the time. Cassavetes is working with his little, you know, troop of weirdos and Cass and his beautiful right. wife and Cass and, and Sumet's working with Lumet's working with the biggest stars of all time. Right. And not that one is better than the other. It yeah. just feels like these two should never meet. Right. That like sense. these, this is so Lumet as a 70 year old partnering up with soulless money men which is essentially <laughs> Mandalay was sure. yeah. to, to take on a classic film yeah. from the person who created American indie cinema and put, I believe, because what I remember from this movie is that they put a, a cover of every little thing she does. Is, he does his magic over one of the trailers. Oh my God. Uh, and I think it was like a Cheryl Crow cover or something oh. that, felt, Oh God, that just, that, that gave this whole thing like this, weird candy coloring that um that may be super uncomfortable and uh i think audiences were kind of you know turned off by the uncanny valley of the whole thing and that's yeah well and keep keep in mind yeah you know it had been but even by the time this finally came out less than 20 years since the original right like for me if something in my brain 20 years is like the minimum before you're remaking shit. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, again, there's there's nothing wrong with remaking a movie. I'm, you know, with you see it. Right. You know, and I'm I'm, you know, the kind of person who was so super annoyed by all the pre hate for for West Side Story. So I was right. And everyone else was wrong. I'm the best and everyone else is the worst. But um, but that kind of thing. So it's not. I was skeptical. I didn't hate it, but I was was, was just like, I'm skeptical. Well, but I think that's I think you're 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 on the other end of this right now. You're basically saying, yeah, there is some potential value in this package here. Like there might be something. The notion of this. And things chat thing. And I want to get to my, my final point is like things changed a lot in New York and America from 1980 to 1999. Sure. What this film made me feel like is uh, nothing actually changed for the better. Uh, like, like this story is, is, is so much grosser and weirder and less interesting in 1999 yeah. than it was in 1980. Um, sure. And it potentially would be today even. So I think that everything about this script in the 1999 context felt weird and wrong and uncomfortable. And I think even the movie felt that because their depiction of gangsters in this film felt like uh, it was it was conceived by someone who knew what he didn't want to do. Like he knew he didn't want to do, you know, Scorsese's gangsters, but had no idea what he did want to do. And landed on a few random guys in an apartment with nothing on the walls and a giant box TV in the middle of the room. It like really one of the most awfully designed (laughs) I have ever seen. Terrible. I mean, that's where that's there was a bunch of things that just don't do that. Thirty million, thirty million dollars, and this is the fucking production. I think about a weird movie that had wild ass production design. Is this movie, Jason? I'm sure you've seen Reckless People. Uh, I don't think have I have. Sorry, Ruthless People. The oh, Danny, yeah, yeah, Danny yeah. DeVito yeah. and Judge yeah. Reynolds. Yeah. 
And yeah, DeVito's directed it. Yes, they did. And Danny DeVito's apartment in that it's movie insane. is insane. so awesome. <laughs> and yeah. like it is so it is so specific to that person in that right. moment. Yep, Same yep, with right. Doubt or Not in Beverly Hills, by the way. Like there yep, is something yep. so wonderfully specific about mid-80s, like rich like nouveau riche. Nouveau yes. riche thing that like if if this is what that looked like in 1999, like I never want to see a movie set in this world again. Like, yep, yep, yep. what did they what did they spend their fucking ill gotten gains on? Like, I just yeah, it's yeah. giant Bizarre. box TV. It's awful. Yeah. Well, no, I should. To, so to answer your earlier question, Phil, mm-hmm. like the the first of all, none of that shit is in the original. That's like the mean. gangsters, the gangsters that sh- that are after the kid are barely present. They're only seen like in pursuit of them. Like if memory serves, there's maybe a scene or two of them, but like the whole movie is square on, on her and the kid. Yeah. So for, so that's, that's big difference. Number one, number two is none of the just got out of jail shit happens. Uh, she, she's not, I mean, she is like, you know, an ex con. She was at one time, the girlfriend of like, you know, a a gangster of note, but like that's, it was clearly like years ago. Yeah. Um, the movie starts with the, you know, with the killers coming to the apartment. Jenna Rowland's Gloria is just like a neighbor down the hall who's in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's almost like a, a Leon the Professional sort of thing. Uh-huh. Oh. She comes down to like borrow, a, like literally like a cup of sugar or something right before this happens and ends up sort of with the kid as the killers are coming in. And so then and then the rest of the movie is mostly just them trying to stay away to stay a step ahead of the killer. See, this is I mean, um, organically, just like on a, on a purely sort of screenwriting logistical level, what you're talking about is just so much cleaner and makes yes. so much more sense. Part yes. of the problem and one of the myriad of problems with this film is that I was constantly taken out of it by logistics, right? Like yes. I was just thinking like, wait, so you go into this apartment, you steal this kid at gunpoint, you think that you're going to get away with this? Like that they're not going to find you? Oh, it's brutal. Like, it's just, it's just like fucking annoying. And Gloria just looks stupid. She doesn't look street smart. Like, Oh my God. Okay. Okay. And again, I don't want this to turn into an hour of me complaining about the differences, but well, first of all, I will say we do two hour podcast. So the first hour (laughs) can be complaining. (laughs) Could be that. Could be that. Um, First of all, I did. I will say this. I liked little baby Bobby Conoval. He he was uh, good. He was good. And that role originally in the in the in the Casavetti's Buck Henry plays that role. (laughs) Perfect recasting. Wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, So the the thing is on I'm sitting there again, having watched, you know, the original so many times. But I'm like, so all of this, like sturm and drawing with their breakup and with her crying and 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 coming back because she's like all of that is is added in it's also unnecessary it only feels like it's there to give her the chance to do some capital a acting and get that oscar like that's the only reason i can think of for for any of that shit the bedroom scene with her and jeremy northam is just awful awful it makes no sense her character has no it and I, I, I don't care. I don't care what their their stations in life are. No, she would never be with that loser. No, <laughs> more likely um, to be with George C. Scott, which, which by the way, well, apparently she was. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but more, th- but that also, you know, that scene is a really prime example of the fact that like throughout almost the entire movie, I, f- I feel like she, she said, or Lumet said, or the screenwriter said, no, no, no. Cause Jenna, Jenna Rowland's Gloria is tough as nails, right. streetwise capable from the moment she steps into the frame yeah. through the entire movie. She's a step ahead. Yeah. She's got a gun in her hand. She's talking shit to these guys. Sounds she good. is a fucking badass and it feels like some studio note along the line was she needs to have an arc she needs to begin weak and become strong through this experience which is like so fucking boring so she ends up playing her as this kind of like this helpless sort of victim and that almost completely undercuts what's exciting and interesting about the original film like if you're if you can't if you can't borrow casavetti's ear if you can't borrow jenna Rollins, then at least shoplift the thing that makes it exciting and it's not like strong gun-toting women protagonists were more prevalent in 99 than they were in 1980 like it was still a novelty to have that kind of a woman at the center of your movie and they just fucking blew it yeah it's it's so much of it is just to your point like the original is not a plotty movie, um, it no. seems. This movie, no. I, it was plotty for him, but well, not in compared yeah. to most movies. Kenny yeah. and I have been on a bit of a tear right now, stuck in a bit of a pocket of of crime movies, pseudo crime movies from from nineteen ninety nine. Um, and I, I would I would argue that this is sort of in that uh, milieu, Kenny, in terms of of the films we've done over the last. It, it, or so. it is, but it. It's different. I mean, the the other movies we've run them down. It's crazy, but the other movies are best laid plans. I have the Beholder. We you know, kind of like doing simpatico a little bit. Um, what were the other crappy ones oh, we've God. done? Um, uh, Goodbye, see, Lover. This is Goodbye, Lover. Two Hands yeah, is coming is, up. Yeah. So this guys, this comes from a no because like I was working in a video store in two thousand. Like I yeah. remember yeah. seeing all of these Same. tapes yeah. on the shelf, yeah. not renting. Oh I remember, yeah, no, I remember them just like yeah. never leaving. They just the collected store dust. The, but it's, it, it this is, one is yeah. like kind of in that you know kind of like like yeah very very kind of uh, broadly in that category. Mm-hmm. But this is different right, because there was like. There was an explosion of sort of crime movies in the the post Tarantino. Yes. Yes. So there was exactly. Was po- yes. Then we talked about that a lot. How you know this is yeah. kind of the runoff, like the last gasp. Yeah. But yeah. this one is different because this one is trying something you know very weird, which is let's mine the time before these yeah. movies like made a big sure. you know made a big impact. See if we can update something and then give it to one of our finest directors who's turned into a work of Deschanel and see and throw 30 million dollars at it. Yeah. So this is the this is the again soulless corporate version of let's see what we can do with this indie boom. The 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 yes. and 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 I, I wanna like Make I want to make that's so true. I want to make yeah. something very clear. Like soulless and corporate don't necessarily have to be, you know, descriptors always used in in concert like that. There are plenty right. of corporations who are capable of hiring people who can put soul and heart and feelings and emotions into things. So I'm not trying to be like that's just you know a blanket thing. This one in particular feels like. Let's throw money at it 
and not even think about like what made the originals tick or what make the what makes the Tarantino movies go or the Soderbergh movies go. Like Out of Sight was a year before this, and it's one of the great movies of all time, not because of guns, but because of emotion. And uh, you know, it had a very strong gun-toting female protagonist at the core of it as well. So I think that yeah, I think that's th- this is. In in a lot of ways, Phil, the best of this bunch. Like I think this is clearly the best of the bunch of, of the, this run we've a done. Low bar, but yeah, outside of best laid plans, which is you know a weird, Obviously wonderful a, 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 freak a show, Phil. Masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I also so I do think it's the best and most competent of these films. I also think it is the one that like should you know die in a house fire. Sure, I you no, know you, I mean two, two the, things come up that I just wanted to say real quick. Um, the first was. Uh, would have preferred to see Jennifer Lopez in this movie. Jennifer Lopez's Gloria probably would, which would have made more sense. Which would have made more sense coming off of Out of Sight. Would have watched that movie. Um, that would have still sucked. I promise. Would have still sucked for sure, for sure. Um, but would have made more sense. But the other things, just to keep keep on the Soderbergh thing for a quick second. In '99, Soderbergh makes The Limey, right? Which again is a very straight clean movie that feels like it's come out of that actually feels like it came out of the sort of heyday of Lumet in sort of your, your late seventies, early eighties. Now, admittedly, you know, he's there, there is some crossover with the, the, the movie that he pulled some stuff from a lot of Um, British influence. And you understand. Yeah. Yes. But it's, it's just, that's why, like, I think to myself, if Soderbergh had made this film in 99, right. Say Soderbergh makes this film. It's just, Obviously, it's a different animal, but it's like he understood how, like, what postmodernism meant continues to. But at that moment of like, how do I metatextually do stuff with this? That's the only way you do a movie like this, right? Like, Lumet's just not applying himself really in any way, shape, or form here. Nor is the screenwriter. And and to your point, Kenny, it's a soulless kind of movie, money making endeavor. But like. There is real potential in this to be able to take Cassavetes and be like, okay, this is what he did in 80. What can I do in 99 with this thing that actually makes it feel relevant and makes it feel like it should have been made? I, I want to continue on that point, but Jason, you had something you want to say? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to. I just, no, 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 it's okay. I just wanted to add in, like, as you were saying it, Kenny, the, the post-Tarantino moment is 100% why the gangsters are in this movie so much. Sure. And, sure. and especially, and it's never more, like, there's few things in 90 cinema more painful than, like, an inept screenwriter trying to write Tarantino-y dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that's totally what's happening in that brief first time we see them sitting in the car where they're talking about the bird or whatever. That's totally him trying to, like, write Tarantino dialogue. I totally so, yeah, that's, that. I, it, it hadn't occurred to me at all while I was watching the movie, but that's a thousand percent why there's like 50 times as many scenes with the gangsters in this movie is because someone because this guy thought he was writing like you know things I, to do I would argue all the George C. Scott stuff feels like shitty Tarantino stuff too yeah I mean I, yeah. I think that you know I, I the scene you're talking about Kenny at the end with them on the park bench you know is is, is deeply Disturbing. uncomfortable for a, for, a, for a bunch of reasons I mean it's uncomfortable just because there's like this kind of lecherous kind of sexual undertones to it. But then on top of it, it's like they're both in two different movies. So like, you know, you're, you're really not getting the sense of cohesion, but, but all that being said, I just, it's, we talk a lot, Kenny, about, you know, missed opportunities. And I don't necessarily think this even really ranks in the top 20 missed opportunities of 1999, but I still think it is a missed opportunity. Like I think that there could have been something here. 
I, I don't disagree, but like I would also say, Phil, you and I have been down this road many times where we are, well, it's different when you think, uh, where we go in and we pitch some uh, some IP thing, right? Where yep, some, yep, yep. like we have this piece of IP, this piece of IP, and then the producer goes down the road and they come back and like, well, great idea. Why didn't he the IP? And I would say that's the case for this yes, movie, yes, yes. which is like there is nothing that there is nothing about this setup that I think you need to call it Gloria again. Like this, right. you, can, you can just kind of take this idea. Like that's what I would have suggested for right. the people who are doing this, which is like the the reformed sex worker needs to harbor a kid who is in danger. Mm-hmm. Does not need to be a Gloria remake. So it's just no, because and idea. Gloria certainly wasn't the first movie that ever did it. No. And again, that's not what made Gloria interesting. Right. Number two, it's also not like there was some tremendous like psychological attachment to Gloria among Zero. Like, the general American public. Like it made it was financially successful for a Casavetti's movie, yeah. but still, like its box office was like five million or something. Yeah. Like they spent six times the gross of the original on the budget for this one yeah i i also just uh, it, it's worth but yes no. soderbergh would have had the sense to so yes to like yeah. change the title like he didn't remake the conversation or, he turned it into kimmy you know or he would have had the sense to make this movie for five million dollars you know what i mean yes, like that he too that he too would have looked at this thing and said like listen guys like don't give me 30 million i mean it's 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 crazy um it, it's it's just it's just a very strong it's a yeah. dissonant movie that that exists in a time uh, in this weird little pocket where like Lumet's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, it's, it's very odd. I want to just for a quick second talk about the spine of this movie is the relationship between Gloria and Nikki, this little boy, this seven-year-old boy. Um, right. I, I hate to shit on child performances. <laughs> Uh, it, it, I, I hate to do it because it's... it's, it's you, not- you don't need to do it. I, anyone who sees the movie gets it. Right, but I, I also just feel it's like... It's so poorly written. It's poorly written. The kid's not very good. And I would also say, too, that it also creates a scenario where Sharon has nothing to play off of, right? Like, so much of this movie, she's playing off of this kid. She's she's drowning in a performance of just, like, I don't know, artifice and caricature odd caricature and, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of it, she's playing off of someone that's not really giving her much to work with. I say all of this that if there had been a genuine chemistry between her and that kid it could have saved this movie in a lot of ways because yeah. there's, and, and instead you don't have it. It's, it's a really, really, go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, she has chemistry with no one well, yeah. except Kathy Moriarty. And sure, that sure. one scene with Kathy Moriarty, I think yeah. might have yeah. been the best scene in the movie just because Probably. first I believed their relationship I, and I felt like there was a respect that I was seeing both between the characters and the actors. And also, Kathy Moriarty is the only person in the movie who's doing a convincing New York accent. Like, yes. like I really want... Kathy Moriarty is in this movie for, like, five minutes at the three-quarter yeah. mark. And, like, ooh, she, she should have been in it more. So like, weird I to love, see them together I in love, a film. You know? Yeah, like, it just... She, I loved it. Just because, you know, she... They, they, they you know, occupied the same exact totally. space in a Scorsese movie. Yep. The yeah. Same, with the same exact guys. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's... it's uh, yeah. yeah, I... So, I, I mean, look, I think uh, regarding the kid, 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay this mostly honestly at the feet of Sharon Stone because uh, there is, it is a high wire act sure. playing against a kid. And not every kid is Jacob Tremblay. But if you n- nail it, you win an Oscar like Brie Larson did, right? And think that, like, I, I, I'm just thinking of so many actresses working today who would just kill it across from anything cute. And, like, just if anything cute, right. they just they just know how to, like, yep. bring that out of a kid because a good kid performance is not, you know, again, I, I, I said Jacob Triple the real guy is Haley Joe Osment. Not every kid, like, knows what they're doing, yep. right? Most of them are just being themselves across from someone they feel really comfortable with. And I think that was the issue here. And this performance is, is like so wooden. Now I also laid this at the feet of Anne and Lumet because a, a refrain that was going through my head was a movie. I love is uh, a perfect world with Kevin Costner yeah. where yeah. Kevin Costner is basically Delighted. playing. A, is that the kid? It's a, kid. it's a kid who didn't really do much after. So that's kind of the point. He's playing. He played with Elijah Wood in in the war, but Elijah Wood at that point is already established and very good. Uh, But he's playing against a kid who really isn't tasked with much, isn't doing much, isn't much more than a cute little kid. And he's a rogue, and he's you know he's keeping this kid kind of not safe. He is keeping him safe, but he's also the danger. It's a great movie. Watch Perfect World, wonderful film. He is never playing the scold, and there's something about the depiction of Gloria. Mm-hmm. as like a woman who has never had kids, a woman who doesn't seem to have ever had any predilection towards being a mother or maternal, mm-hmm. like falling into the worst archetypes of momhood that would never happen to a male mm-hmm. character. Like Kevin Costner, that movie is really charming when he plays across kids. I think of Bruce Willis when he plays across, uh, plays, you know, across from kids. The, she, because she is this, you know, essentially supposed to be a, a, a somewhat badass gun toting, you know, can do her own thing woman. Yeah. She also shouldn't be such a fucking wet blanket when it comes to this kid, which she is until the end. Like there is that scene in the bed where I do start to start to feel like, okay, that is not maternal. That is somewhat, you know, you know, germane to this kind of character. This kid does seem to understand like the level she's coming from. And there is a connection there, but there could have been that the whole film. And there also should have been a lot more of like, how do I get rid of this fucking kid? Yeah. It's, it's very strange how I I agree with everything you're saying, Kenny. And, and on some level, I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions about, about, you know, professionalism or what it was like on set, but so much of kids stuff is, um, is the stuff that's not happening on camera, right? It's the, just kind of making them feel comfortable and, and, and making them feel like they're having a good time and all that stuff might very well had happened, but it just feels to your point, Kenny, like she's. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm acting here and you got to pull your weight and that creates this this oddness in the way that their scenes play out <laughs> so go, i'm acting here right <laughs> well and also also a whole shitload of that is about the director is about oh, yeah. the director being like super duper present on the other side of the camera yeah. and you know again based on sort of our observations of the quality of performance elsewhere yeah. it seems safe to assume that that might not have been available to him either i will say the quality of the kid performance did not bother me nearly as much as you guys because honestly the kid in the original is kind of obnoxious as well he was not he, it's, he was nominated for a razzie i i noticed was that. he really yeah. yeah yeah which is also fucked up like <laughs> yes it is that. It's also not. It's not kids. Come on. No, you yeah. don't. It's, you it's, don't. it's not that. It's always it's not a up. bad performance, right. but it's not a great kid performance. He's sort of obnoxious. He's sort of one monotone in the way that this kid is. And honestly, I would guess the kid probably, in lieu of actual direction, just watched the original movie and tried to like be the kid. So I here's, thought that the kid had his moments. I thought the scene mm-hmm. he has with Bobby Carnival at the beginning. Yes, was I great. Bobby. I, yeah. That's that's who Bobby Cannavale is. Like right? he, yes. he is he is he is like the best actor. He's <laughs> like, just Super such present. a good actor in everything he does. Yeah. It's funny he's also you know Lumet's son-in-law at the time. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, was, he was married. He's married to, to Jenny Lumet. Jenny Lumet at the time. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. And he wasn't a big all actor right. either. So I yeah. It's, all right. Like pull that really good. It, pull that card, Bobby. I want to also say that um, I would say the most affecting scene in this movie might have been, and it's it's a really brutal scene, is the scene when Bobby and his family are oh, yeah, gunned that down. Was, yeah, that was shocking. It's, it's, it, it was genuinely shocking and upsetting to watch. And I was just like, what, again, it comes back to tone, like, what is this movie? Well, let, what are you let me, going let me, for? Let me throw something out to yeah, you guys. Yeah, please, yeah. That was a wild ass scene. And I'm not sure I've seen a, a movie that looks like this, right? I think this 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 has this has the you know kind of the, the sheen and lighting that hideous '90s indoor lighting uh, flatness. Um, so it, it has that almost touchstone quality. And to have a scene, an old woman, a young woman, a lovely man, and a child killed off screen a child are killed is is jarring now not necessarily in a bad way what that could do at that point is give you license do whatever want to keep going and going and going but then they do silly things like have all the old men and fat men strip and you know we're back in silly movie so i i I would argue also i agree with what you're saying that that scene that scene that scene where she's holding everybody up at gunpoint painful destroys the film. It's yeah, it's fucking horrible. But to your point, you've got this brutal, horrible execution of the family. And then later becomes a punchline when everyone's making fun of how trigger happy that hitman is. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. That, that dude from uh, dumb and dumber. Mike star, Mike, baby. Mike star. I, great actor. I, I 
Uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Hold no, holding nothing against Mike Starr, who is an actor who I miss. Like, yeah. it felt like he was in like every fifth movie yeah. in the 90s, and, souls, and now I don't he? see him at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, no, yeah, he's, he sure he's a good actor, and uh, a man who brutally murders four members of a family is yeah. it's not someone that I, I, I want to see in a silly scene where we get to see him, yeah. his butt. I think right. that, like, I, I mean, there, there is a, there is a reason you turn, you, you, you use the term showing ass because it's, it's like the, it's, it, cause it's like, it's when you are made to look really silly, but that is, it's so fucking far over. Like at that point for this guy, he's scary in real life. He is scary. Okay. I want to say, I want to go back to the turnstone stone of it because there's something that keep, keeps coming into my head. And, yeah. and, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about you wouldn't make this movie anymore. They don't make movies like this, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Uh, This to me, we've talked about it a little bit is very clearly some evil person saying, how do we get you your Oscar, Sharon? How do we get you your Oscar? Yep. Yep. And I want to say that doesn't happen anymore, but it just happened. Because Jessica Jessica Chastain, and for Will Smith, and for for Will Smith. Smith. Great point. These people were like, some people were like, how do we get you long suffering movie stars, your Oscars? Okay. Now, and right now that is, let's find a real person for you to play uh, in a biopic type thing. That's, that's some weird real person who doesn't look like you, beautiful movie star, and you can play against, against type a little bit. What's interesting about those two films Eyes of Tammy Faye, King Richard. They're both executive produced by uh, the stars, right? So we, so around 10 years ago, we just decided to, you know, put it out on Front Street that it's not enough that we can, you know, that, that we're going to build this whole $30 million production around getting you movie star your Oscar. We're just going to put it out there. Like, this is from this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was always the truth, though. That when you have an Oscar bait star vehicle, that that person was uh, in everything but official title, the executive producer, final say, most important person uh, in the room at all times. And that's an interesting dynamic in this particular film, because, you know, say what you want about Lumet and he's worked with some really big stars and he's also made, you know, like I keep. One of the weirdest things in film history to me is like Prince of the City is one of the 10 best movies ever made. It stars Treat Williams. Like he also worked with Treat Williams and, you know, turned out one of the great films of all time. So like he he's always to me been in control of his actors very much. Right. And he's made these very actorly movies with movie stars, with movie stars in the, you know, kind of in the middle of their rises. Right. Like Faye Dunaway is still on the way up. Pacino's still on the way up, even with Dog of the Afternoon. Serpico, he's certainly on the way up. I wonder what that must have been like for him in 1999 to have to, you know, to be working with one of the biggest stars and someone who, like, is Oscar hungry and, like, notoriously, like, very smart. Like, the, the thing right. about Sharon Stone is, like, she is, like, super smart, super savvy, and, like, very strong-minded. It must have been a very bizarre set is what I'm getting yeah. at. Oh, yeah. there's no question. And then on top of all that, you have George C. Scott, who was notoriously a curmudgeon, uh, yeah. a, a hard guy to work with on top of everything else, who... I will not bizarrely... do this movie unless I get to kiss Sharon Stone on the mouth. 
possibly. <laughs> um, and might have been one of the reasons why he turned down Magnolia to do this role. Um, he oh, was supposed no. to be the Jason Robarbs role. Um, oh, no. And he turned it down, I think, because at the time, Paul Thomas uh, Anderson probably wasn't maybe as, uh, you know, bona fide, if you will, or, or experienced or whatever. Um, I, I'm very happy that happened. I love Jason. You know what? Yeah. No, you're right. Because, so because, Robards has a vulnerability yeah. that I that Scott like that was just not in his typical bag of tricks. Maybe he could have pulled it off, it's, but I mean, but. It, it is you know it's Jason Robards' final performance. Um, he's literally dying he's on screen. Literally, dying yeah, he on is. That. He's tremendous in that film. Um, yeah. I think part of what makes God George C. Scott died in 1999. Yeah, did you know in that? September? Wow, his final his final theatrical release yeah. was Gloria. Was Gloria, yeah. I it is it is I don't I would agree that George C. Scott also by the way, um, and I, I don't know how to say this other than the fact that that Jason Robarb's physical health at the time also brings something to the table, right? Which Absolutely. is that as as we mentioned, he was literally dying. George yeah. C. Scott, I'll just say, know, it, dude, Jason right? Robarb's aged gracefully. And George C. Scott went out like a wrecking ball. Uh, and there's just something Fair about point. that. Yeah. That like No, he's he still yeah. looks like a bulldog. In yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. He just he it's he just doesn't he oh he just he's 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 an incredibly interesting Hollywood presence too. Cause he's mm-hmm. he's by all accounts like a real like kind of sensitive, like uh progressive man, right? Like he really was like an actor's actor and 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 you know really really cared about crafts. But like his on-screen presence to me is if it's not uh if it's not utilized correctly is very off-putting. And I found yeah, that way in this. I, I I think just to be very clear, I think we got lucky that he turned it down. I think that Jason Robarbs is tremendous in yeah. magnolia yeah. um on top mm-hmm. of the fact that jason robarbs also for me anyway the range of performances that guy gave us over his career you're feeling all of that with this sure. performance right sure. whereas george c scott as talented and as great as he is i don't want to say he's one no because that's not fair but like he always felt larger than life he always felt like this just commanding crazy kind of performances whereas jason i feel right. like there was just a little more range there so i could i could see the you know the 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 ben bradley i could see capital a, capital yeah capital yeah. m movie star george yeah. c scott really like totally. not totally. everybody could be pat not everybody right. can be right. dr strange love like yeah. that like yeah. even yeah. even the movie with the scene what's the movie in the hardcore i mean like sure. who else could do that so like <laughs> yeah yeah but it's, it's no, I've weirdly, yeah. I've weirdly just been spending time with late George C. Scott lately because nice. I do this, I do this Blu-ray column for the playlist and a couple of his late nineties TV movies. He did two made for showtime. I think TV movie adaptations of great American plays, both with Jack Lemmon. Mm-hmm. They did 12 angry men with with Jack Lemmon and like Armin Mueller. I, well, I remember watching young, that many young times. Gandalfi, I think that's a incredible cast. I mean, I, I, really I, good. ironically, a, a remake of a Lumet film. But, yes, uh, exactly. But By William Friedkin. So, so there weird. we go. But Everything it's fantastic. It's, it's, the, the remake is so good. I mean, like, it's yeah, not obviously the original so good, but they, the, 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 the actors they got for that movie is so awesome. Is it the not yeah. Lemon performance, the performance that yes. Bing Rames wins yes. for? And then yes. he pulls yes. him up there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And then like a year or two after that, 
they reteamed George C. Scott and Jack Lemmon for Inherit the Wind. Oh, right, right. Um, you know, and in, but in both of those, like he, George C. Scott is playing the role you'd put George C. Scott in. He's playing the, the stubborn-headed mule yeah. bully right, type. Right, 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 right. And by that point, that was just who he was. I, that was like yeah. the, the type he had carved out for himself. I, actually, I think oh, the, the reason I initially was sort of, oh, when you said the thing about Magnolia is just like, I've always felt that it sort of sucks that like he, he died not having done like a great movie in like a kind of a long time, you know, and that's, yeah, it would have been a nice final movie for him, but then it ultimately right. is a nice final movie for Jason <laughs> Roberts. But, but there yeah, it's, what were you going to say? Kenny? I, I saw, I actually saw him do inherent the wind on Broadway with, Oh wow. shit. With Charles Durning was the other, Ooh, uh, was the other guy. Good. And it is, I, it, it was an incredible use of both those guys. Sure. Yeah. And it's just incredible. Like, you know, there's just something about, I don't remember the play very well, but I remember that George C. Scott is a total asshole who's completely right. And Charles Durning is, <laughs> you know, incredibly charming and syrupy and Southern is completely wrong. And it's wonderful to see. It, it's just a wonderful kind of, you know, uh, like, like, thing go, like, 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 um, dynamic between them. Sure. I yep. wonder how Lemon is. Cause I, 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 for whatever reason, I don't really love Lemon in roles where he is uh, not morally upright. Like, I don't really love no, this him. Is, in- I, I, I am not sure what, what exact, how you're remembering it. He's, he's right. The, 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 it's the, Inherit the Wind is the monkey trial. No, I know. So George C. Scott is playing like the anti-evolution Bible thumping. Like they might have switched roles uh, then. I'm not kidding. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, they. I think they might have. Oh, wow. Because and then Lemon plays the the Clarence Oh, Darrow all right. So I no, I think I'm going to look it up. I, yeah, I think that's so. that's fast. That's some uh, shit that him and Charles Durning would have done too. They would have gotten tired. <laughs> yeah, they would have gotten tired of the roles and would have just like swapped them occasionally. I think they, they would have known each other's dialogue. That's um, cool. Oh, that's fucking uh, cool. Okay. But, you know, I was just going to say, like, I don't love Jack Lemmon and Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Garrick or Glenn really? Ross. Um, I don't love the cast. Well, it was a pleasure talking <laughs> to you. Um, I mean, I love that Why movie. don't you like him in it? I don't know. I, I, I it, it might be an emotional thing more than anything. Mm. Uh, I, I just don't love the idea that he that he's, <laughs> he's still the leads. I just like, don't want him to have done a bad thing. I, so. it, 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 I don't know what it means. Like, I, I let me let me ch- kind of parse this. It's physically We've gone very far. It is. It is we often do. We often do. It's probably a benefit to the film, but there it, there's <sighs> something about that. I I, I feel like Jack. See, I think because so it's funny because I I, I also watched Save the Tiger recently, and he does a very similar thing in that film, yeah. and there is just something about that about Jack Lemon doing something bad that breaks my heart and maybe it's the oh, right way it but should. It, it, maybe it's the right way like, maybe it's, it's supposed right. to be a shock I, no, maybe it's, it's supposed right to be a shock but like, that he but was like the guy. I know I sound like an idiot I feel like an idiot no no no, no, but no, no. It, maybe it's I'm right sorry. but it does it, there is something about it that kind of like hits me as like I don't know maybe 
hits me wrong. It's like, like finding out your finding out your grandpa that's cheated right. on that's your right. grandma. Which is like yeah, I don't know if you've seen Save the Tiger, but it's very much like that. Like really, it, I haven't seen that one. I've always Save met the Tiger is. I don't think I'm really giving anything away. He basically is a guy who owns a clothing factory, and the factory is going to go under. So he plans to burn it down for the insurance money. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's what the movie is about. Like the movie is yeah. about like his like moral struggle with like, what am I going to do with this? Like, you know, figurative fire I have in front of yeah. me. It's a great fucking film, but like, it is hard to watch him lower himself. I don't know. There's, right. I'll say this. Glengarry Glenn Ross, you know, is, is one of those films that in hindsight, I'm kind of surprised didn't like get more Oscar nominations. Like the fact that Pacino is the only one to get a nomination out of that cast is kind of surprising. Bizarre. It was, it was yeah. a big deal at the time because Lemon was sort of presumed to be a shoe in for right. the nomination. And he does not get nominated. Yeah. That was um, the same year he won, right? Pacino? That was the year Pacino won. Yeah. Best actor for yeah, yeah. He was nominated twice. Yeah. Yeah. And you, which usually, and it was a big deal because usually, in previous years when an actor was double nominated like that, they didn't get either of them. Right. So it was like a big history. making. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. And then the next year it happens with Holly Hunter, which is weird. You got 92 with him and yeah. then with her in 93. Jamie Foxx was nominated twice the year he won. What was he nominated for supporting actor for? Collateral. Collateral. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. a weird nomination. He should have won both. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just say hey, no, no. he should have only won for Max and Tom Cruise should have won but correct actually you know that's actually the truth is they were both he, he his role in collateral yeah. is 100% the lead performance but of course it is he has more screen time than, yes, than anyone yes, 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 I, I will say though Lemon in Glengarry Glen Ross I agree with you Kenny it is a very hard performance to watch that's what it comes down to it's you really do feel like a man is is dying inside in front of you and i i it's brilliant i mean his nickname is amazing and the fact that you could still see this like i kind of get why you were successful in another era thing Mm -hmm. from him yep Mm -hmm. um it's It's amazing but it it is it it is actually too much it's actually too much for me and now that to like think about the end of that movie that it was him the whole time well and it's it's that and also I mean, unfortunately, it's Kevin Spacey in the scene, but that scene at the end where he's basically just begging him, he's just like, yeah. please don't do this to me. You don't understand. You're, you don't understand what you're doing to me. It's, it's a towering performance. That's, space, that's Spacey's only good performance. It might be. No, I'm, a, kidding. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he's I, good in seven where he also plays. A, so he's amazing in seven. He's amazing. in uses suspects, but like he's very, very good in the ref. Sorry. The ref. Okay. Yes, yeah, sure. Great actor. Great actor. Yeah. Uh, so it's a in, terms actor. Of, in terms of Gloria, in terms of um, just yes. to, to pivot back to the George C. Scott stuff for a quick second, because I do think that I, I, I liked the scene with him and uh, Jeremy Northam, the scene in the in the in the where it's just the two of them, just the two of them. Yeah, it's and okay. basically yeah. he's like, you're fucking inept. Get your fucking house in order or I will kill you. Yeah. Um is a good scene and George C. They're both kind of locked in and George C. Scott feels like as much as there's, he's kind of doing whatever he wants. It works. Whereas the, the glorious scene at the end just made me very, very uncomfortable. Um, so I, I, I just, it, it, he's listen, we, we, we've, we've, we've kind of covered George C. Scott in, but I do think that 
Uh, he adds something to this film. He's watchable. He adds an energy and an electricity mm-hmm. for good or bad that I think this film desperately needs in the moments yeah. that he's on screen. Um, the, I, I also just want to talk, can we talk about Jeremy Northam for a quick second here, Kenny? Cause I know that he's your favorite actor. Of course. Um, <laughs> and to, to, to just remind our listeners, it's Winslow boy. It's happy Texas. It's oh. this, and then what's the I, fourth one? I think it was an ideal husband. Yes, yes. And I think Jeremy Northam is one of those guys who should stay on his side of the pond. <laughs> um, stay in your lane. Stay yeah. in your lane, buddy. Because <laughs> stay on your continent. You are. Pal. You are. You are not Matthew McFadden. Okay. No. You can. You are not allowed over here. You. He, he is. He is not bad in Winslow Boy. No. He is not bad in Ideal Husband. He is yeah. so he, bad in Happy Texas. He is yeah. so bad in this, and he's so bad in the net. I mean, he's like, he's so bad when he well, asked. Have him. you seen Happy Texas, uh, Jason? I have not. Okay. Uh, Happy Texas was like a Sundance, one of the first oh, big I, Sundance I remember. Hits. Huge, huge. Bomb. I remember. Kenny and I talked about this on our Happy Texas episode. This movie, I remember when that movie came out, there yeah. was buzz. That movie was going to oh, be yeah. huge. Oh, I yeah. saw it in the fucking theater because I was like, well, this is going to be a big, you know, what I, yeah. this it kind of was was laid out to be the Little Miss Sunshine of 1999. Right. Like this is going to be the big, fun Sundance yep. comedy. Um, and, and to Kenny's point, he's just so brutally miscast in that movie. Yeah. That movie goes up 10 points by casting basically anyone else in that movie. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so he's got that. And then he's got he's just. He's just a charisma void. There's he just really like, is. there's just like, he just sucks energy out of a scene. He's such a weasel in this movie. And I know that he's supposed to be like a tough as nails, hard ass, like criminal or something. Like you're supposed to be scared of him. Don't yeah. you think Kenny? Not like, for that a we're second. supposed to be afraid of him in this movie? Yes. Not for a second. Yeah. And you're yet, definitely supposed no to point. be afraid of him. Yeah. You, I think you're supposed to be afraid of him, but you're also maybe supposed to be like, maybe deep down this guy's heart right 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 yeah maybe deep down this is the guy who will let him go at the end i don't know maybe but i just it's it's very odd to me i'm not i'm not convinced that the movie really knows what it wants to do with him and then on top of all of it i'm not sure that he even really knows what he's absolutely doing um it's it is if you would cast somebody competent or cast this role better i think about the scene in the bedroom at the top of this movie and it it doesn't make the scene necessarily better but it makes the scene a little bit more palatable because i just Mm -hmm. tap out when it's exactly what kenny said which is there's no world where sharon stone is with jeremy northam (laughs) there's no there's no world where she's like this guy's the love of my life not even let let me go i'm gonna one step further goes to jail for jeremy northam right like Absolutely. Yeah, 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 a three yeah, year yeah. stint for Jeremy yeah, Northam. Yeah. Takes the rap for him. Yeah, it's like, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. Uh, I, I, I don't really get it. Um, who would you have cast in this role, Kenny? The Jeremy Northam role? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Mike Starr. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm believing it. 
Now I'm buying it. Uh, she'd, she'd do 10 years to save my son. <laughs> Who would I have cast in the role? Uh, well, it's, it's so nebulous. Like, not that crime syndicates have to be, you know, of a certain ethnicity, but it would be sure. maybe helpful if, if I had a little sense of, yep, you know, what type of... <laughs> right, but what... what... <laughs> What kind of mob is this supposed to be? What kind of mob are you guys supposed to be over here? Based yeah, you've got an Irish guy. You could yeah, cast, like, whatever that George C. Scott accent. You could cast yeah. anybody, dude. You could have cast Bobby Cannavale in that role. It would have made sense. Oh, my God. Like, so much you, the movie's yeah. ten times you better. Cast, and like, just, this, is, this is not a difficult role to yeah. figure out. Like, here's, how you fi- here's how you fix this movie. You put Bobby Cannavale in that role. You bring back Buck Henry yep. to reprise sure, sure. the role at the beginning. Sure. Done. You, your, your movie is at least a solid three, three out of four stars. Yeah. I just, I feel like you put uh, Joey Pants in that role. You oh, put, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yep. you could have yeah. put anybody an- yeah, in that good role. Good answer, good answer. You know, yeah. we're just like, oh, this guy's legitimately scary, but he's kind of funny too. No. Like, you need a Joe Pesci ass. Uh, you know, you could have put in the role in '99. I maybe if this movie was made two years later, mm. it could have been Gandolfini, and I would have bought. <laughs> yeah. I would have bought yeah. the whole thing. 100%. Once, yeah. once that weird thing happened, I discussed it on this podcast at least yeah. once, where people were like, you know, Gandolfini is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. then, yeah. then I think you know, you get it, into it. You know who who was the first person I ever heard describe him as sexy? was Sarah Jessica Parker. There was really? like, it was at like some HBO junket because their shows were on at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And she said, oh yeah, he's incredibly sexy. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine I was, like, was uh, Julia Roberts when they were the Mexican. See, when they did the Mexican. <laughs> it was like, we. it's like I'm, I'm working with the two sexiest men in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's, I think, it, yeah. No, I was going to say, I, I had a subject change, but finish what you no, were No, no, please, please. Say. Go ahead. Yeah. I just, I think it is worth pausing for a moment to talk just briefly about Lumet's very weird 90s. Please, please. Um, because I'll, if I may get into process a bit, yeah. uh, when Phil invited me on the show, you know, he's, I say, hey, you know, you got anything that's a New York movie? So we can also, you know, I can whore my book a little bit. And, uh, and this was like his only suggestion, really, from the list of like remaining yeah. movies. Like, we could do Gloria. And I was, you know, and I initially was like, ooh, should we? <laughs> because I had never seen it because I had never wanted to see it because I love Sidney Lumet and I wanted like the worst Sidney yeah. Lumet movie I'd seen to be like the whiz, you know, um, because, <laughs> insane like, movie, by the way. there's, but there is so, so much yeah. of this nineties filmography that like to this day, I haven't seen just because like, again, I was working in video stores. I heard from customers. I saw trailers. There was nothing like Q and a, which comes out in 90 is like top tier, like yeah. top 10. It's good movie. Like it's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. But then he does A Stranger Among Us, which everybody hates. He does Guilty as Sin. A Stranger which Among Us is hates. the Melanie Griffith movie, right? I- yes, okay. correct. Correct. And then Guilty as Sin is like the Rebecca de Mornay, Don Johnson erotic thriller, sure. which everybody hates. Now, the next one was one of the first Lumet movies that I saw in the theater, which I also own on Laserdisc. Back to my visual. Yeah, it's a good, it's uh, a good looking poster. Night it's a good falls movie. On Night, yeah. Night Falls on Manhattan yeah. is a solid, solid mid tier yeah. Lumet, like doing what Lumet does, yes. but like doing it with real, with real style and panache. And Andy Garcia is real good in it, and Dreyfus is really good in it. And then the one after this, I never saw, which was Critical Care, but I, I heard it was like kind of good. I heard it was okay. Roger, I remember it. people ta- compared it. They, they were like, "This is a shitty version of the Hospital." The the yes. uh, the Patty Chayefsky um, movie, right? That Arthur Hiller directed right. and not not. But okay, so he does this movie. 
And then it tanks. And it, then he's like out for like several years. And then goes, flop. this was a big, big, flop. big flop, big fucking flop. But then he goes in this sort of wilderness period in the early 2000s. Cause I think he got the honorary Oscar in like Oh five or Oh six. He's got the honorary Oscar. I remember this pretty, pretty vividly. He Me got too. the honorary Oscar while he was in post on find me guilty. Find me guilty. And, and it was, showed like a clip. And it was Vin Diesel who presented it to him before yeah. Vin Diesel was cool. Yep. And they show the clip of Vin Diesel with hair. And I think, and and by the way, one of the worst titles ever. And everybody was like, oh, this is who we're getting. Like, as someone who didn't know much at the time, like, yeah, this is so sad. Like, you're you're doing the Vin Diesel hair movie. But then the Vin Diesel hair movie comes out and it's really good. People love it. Yes. It's really good. Yes. And then after that, he does fucking Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which a is like a masterpiece. A banger. Just a fucking one of the great last movies ever. Yes. Like As he an does 82 two year old. Yeah. Does two more great movies after he gets the lifetime achievement. Here's the thing so about, about uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Yeah. Um, Excellent in every in every aspect of it. It's shot beautifully. The action is a I mean, it's it's low level action, kind of terrestrial action. But the action's amazing. The mm-hmm. the Philip Seymour Hoffman Ethan Hawke dynamic is uh, incredible, and it's the movie that was like you're like Marissa Tomei is never gonna stop being perfect. Like yeah. she's like she is so. She's gorgeous in this movie in a way that like yep. you can't believe she is so good. She is like we did okay with her in the final analysis. Like we did okay. I mean, she. I think okay. she. She. She's been nominated for three Oscars now. Like she's not yeah. nobody. Yes. yes, but like well, we're past the the Jack Palance accidentally read her name for the right. Oscars. Thank God. The, I was thinking about that performance. This morning, now I, I think it's the best performance ever. Um, I, I I would just like I wrote about this for the New York Times recently as well. So okay. about uh, about Tomei and my cousin Vinny. Tomei and my cousin Vinny and the 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 the, the ugly rumor and all that it's stuff. Hideous because yeah. that movie just turned thirty as well. Right. It's it's the great look. It's one of my. It's an incredible it's performance. One of my favorite movies, and yeah. the 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 decision, the confidence to to put like essentially the girlfriend character on the stand at the end to be the climatic moment in this movie where her character, you didn't realize had the arc of the film comes full circle. You know why I was thinking of it? Because I got to get my son's haircut. And I, for whatever reason, I was going to do it when we were on vacation. I started thinking of hairdressers in other cities and then the term out of work hairdresser comes in my head. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how brilliant was that? Like that little yeah. moment moment to know she could deliver it the way you're supposed to deliver it like mm-hmm. it is she is she, honestly she's like the greatest fucking actress she is so beautiful she's i think she's 250 years old now and she's still the, <laughs> and she's still the hottest her, woman in the you? world i went like, to see um they did it was very strange but they did this uh there's a, a british version they basically shot london theater version of all about eve with Lily James and uh, and and Gillian Jacobs, and they projected it on a movie screen here at uh, USC. And I went to see that and sat next to Marissa Tomei. She was literally sitting next to me, and oh, like God. looked literally like she had just got out of bed. She was wearing basically like sweatpants, glasses. Still the hottest Stunning. person in the yeah. world. Let, let yeah. me tell you how yeah. good of an actress she is. Oh my God, she. Uh, when she was cast 
as Aunt May in the first Spider-Man. Yeah. Everyone was like, she's too hot. Aunt Aunt May is not <laughs> supposed to be hot. Like Aunt May is supposed to uh-huh. be like some older woman and you know, living in a yeah. hospital bed through the whole first thing, and that's not who Aunt May is. Like you were sexing up Aunt May. Yep. Yep. She is the emotional fulcrum <laughs> of the biggest movie of the last 15 years. Like she has worked it through where the where the entire the, the, the motivating incident of that film is yep. hot Aunt May biting it. Like I can't yeah, yeah. get she she transcends her hotness. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Yep. It's also it also feels like it's a significant part, not to keep talking about how beautiful she is, but it is a significant part of in the bedroom. You know what I mean? Yes, it is of of buying that relationship between this young man right. and her. It's just it's it's important that it seems believable, right? Like yeah. she she great is, casting, great casting great in that film too, because she was she was kind of a joke at that point. And Absolutely. it was Todd Field, right? And for for him yep. for him to recognize that yep. that that she is, you know, everything that, that was foretold in my cousin Vinny is really brilliant. She's not amazing. She's, she's, she's great in the wrestler as well. I mean, she's amazing. She's, yeah. she's just great. Yeah. Yeah. But, so the, the thing that I thought was interesting that I saw someone saying about Lumet recently on Twitter. And I, of course I can't remember who was that he, he was in this weird wilderness period between, you know, this movie tanks in 99 find me guilty is in 2006 lifetime achievement award in 2005. He spends part of that time doing a TV series, which was like not a thing that a name filmmaker did circa 2001, 2002. But he does this series, an A&E original that was called 100 Center Street that he was like one of the creators for. He directed a bunch of episodes. He co-wrote a bunch of the episodes he directed. And from what I understand, that was the first time he was working with video. That was the first time he was shooting on HD as opposed to shooting on film. And that the, the theory that someone I follow was pontificating was basically that like that experience of sort of getting out of the, the just out, out from under the heft of making a $30 million movie that looks freed like it costs 10 freed him up, freed him up as an artist again. And that he was really doing like kind of electric, interesting work on that show. And then I think you see that in those last couple. When I also would argue too, it takes him back to his, to his early days, right? He starts yes. in television. So, golden age of TV. And yeah. he's, he's the guy who, I mean, th- that's also a thing that people, you know, we don't necessarily talk about enough, which is, you know, your Spielbergs and your people that came out of TV Absolutely. when TV was a very different medium. Um, and it was very restrictive and you had a very low budget and you had to really fucking earn your, your bona fides. Um, we don't really have that anymore, obviously. Um, but it is, you- it is, Passing. Yeah. Passing. Oh, sorry. Have you seen 100 Center Street? I've not. Have you? I haven't either. It's no. I've never seen it. It's a, a, a wild cast. Like yeah. It's it's it? Alan Arkin's a star. Okay. Uh, Amy Ryan. It's like a. It's it's like a. Uh, I think a courtroom show kind of. Uh, like it's yeah. It seems like it's like a courtroom adjacent. Show. Uh, yeah yeah yeah. With I mean there's seen some courtroom stuff in it, but it seems to be that it's about a friend between. It's about a friendship between Judge Rifkin, a liberal Jew, and Judge Sims, a conservative lesbian African American. Um, okay. And uh, you know, Alan Arkin is the star. Bobby Cannavale is in it. Um, Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan did episodes. Margot Mar- oh, wow. Margo Martindale did episodes. 
Sri to Chaudhry did episodes. Is it available anywhere to watch? It's available on Apple. Um, I wonder okay. if this is like a hidden gem, but you know, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, he and he was work and he was doing it in New York, obviously. Sure. So he was really mining the New York stage scene for the actors in this thing which is why so many of the of the of these big names that you're reading off like this is one of their first significant credits was was this was a show they could go do during the day while they were doing you know broadway and off-broadway plays at night you know i i there's no question that lumet is a was a fascinating filmmaker he's he's written one of the best books about movies called making movies absolutely if, if anyone is interested in such things they should read that book right now um it's it's fantastic. Um, he was just a real nuts and bolts guy. He approached it as a job. Um, yep. You know, it, it's not to say that it wasn't an art form for him, but it was a job. Um, and and he was and we would perhaps be <laughs> be better off with with more Lumets in our in our world right now, just in terms of people that made really great movies that were based on great scripts and let actors be actors. And and uh, it is unfortunate that we don't have more of them. But um, I do want to just. To, to, to wrap up the Gloria thing, I want to talk about the end of this movie for, for a quick second, because um, basically, you know, as you imagine, fucking the, the, the floppy disk with all the information oh, is, yeah, yeah. is ugh, the, the MacGuffin of this disk is given yeah. back to it's the a, gangster. It's a ledger. It's a ledger book in the original. That's right. the no. date on that. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and essentially she trades the kid for the disc. Um, and then she is, she takes the kid to some boarding school um, and drops him off there. And then we have this moment that I'm still like unsure. She, it's this car moment where yes, she so stops weird. the car. She turns the car around. She stops the car again. She turns the car around again. She's driving erratically. It's all a wonder. And you're just like, I think this works. Like it's kind yeah. of interesting, but I'm not really sure if it does. Yeah. Um, and then she goes back and she takes the kid from the school and, and, and whatever. Um, I gotta be honest with you. This is bad. This kid should definitely stay in the boarding school. Oh she's yeah. She's not she, ready to be a mother. She kidnaps him at the end. That's <laughs> a, that, that's a, she knows what she's doing too. She's like, get in the car. Don't tell anyone like, yeah. I'm going to kidnap you. We're going to go on the road forever. They're, they're she probably, literally says, I probably in Bolivia right now with me. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. It would definitely not. <laughs> not like, it would not be better. I'm assuming both of you as parents looked at this and was like, this kid should not be with this person. Correct? Mm-hmm. And that kid should also be in boarding school. Yeah. Like, that's a two-parter. <laughs> yeah. They, they, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they won. Yeah. I mean, it would have been like, it's an interesting kind of study. I think in 2022, I think in 2000. Seven, sure. She drives away. I think, like, yes, I yes, think, yes. I, I do think that most, you know, that that most movies have the guts to have her drive away. Yes, but I don't think that they they had the guts. I, to I, I literally, I just wrote, I wish this movie had the courage of its convictions and glory. It doesn't go back for Nikki at the end. Like, yeah. I would also say too, like, that's the end of this movie, this particular movie. There she, is no relationship yeah. between the two of them that I'm rooting for. So when she right. goes back from your, your heart's, you know, swells and you're like, thank God they're back together. The, the, right. Which, which, I mean, look, it kind of worked for me because I'm a person and I'm, you know, I'm susceptible to, you know, adults and children hugging like that, sure. that, you know, that, that literally I think creates a chemical reaction to human brains. Yeah. Uh, that being said, like she won the movie, you know, I often feel like, 
get out when you won the movie. She won the movie. Yeah. She's she shepherded this kid to safety and then she yeah. blew it at the last second. But it was disguised yeah. as a win, which is bad. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um the, the ending of the original is accomplishes the emotional payoff of this in a much less hackneyed, much okay. more honest kind of way. That indicates that there will like be a relationship, but that, you know, we're not so first of all, she would be Jenna Rollins in Gloria nineteen eighty would be a far more capable mother than Sharon Stone in Gloria nineteen ninety nine. But it doesn't even like assume that we want that. Right. It's just there, there's this whole great thing where like she kind of goes in to like take care of business and she tells him if I'm not back in X hours, get on a bus and get the fuck out of town. Right. And she doesn't come back, so there's like question of like if she lived. And then like they they there's eventually a sort of. Uh, well-staged reunion in the very last scene but like with like he went to philadelphia to like find his grandmother like his grandmother's there he's gonna be okay gloria will still be around that's the right ending that that gives you your cake and eating it too whereas this is just like i'm taking this kid we're getting on a plane hope they don't come find us um so uh jason on this podcast we rate these films from zero to 99 um Kenny, do you want to rate this first? Yeah, let me uh, pull it up. I, I, I'm going to surprise you guys, I think. Oh, no, I'm actually not going to surprise you. <laughs> uh, all right, so honestly, <laughs> I thought I had given this a 29 before, but I did not. I gave this a 47 before. Wow. So I was going to go up from 29 because I, oh. I don't think it's that bad, but yeah. I'm going to go down from 47. So I'm going to go to a 35, which is where I think this movie should live, uh, right around a 35. I, I felt watching the movie, I think, trying to remember my 47 mindset, that <laughs> it kind of did get its claws in me in the last 30 minutes a little bit. Interesting. Um, okay. But because I was a lot lower and then I wanted to kind of get it about as high as I can get it without recommending it. But after the conversation, I think it's a 35. That being said, I thought I'd given it 29 the whole movie. So I'm trying to like work with my own like messed up brain on it, which is I thought, I think I thought this movie was terrible. And now the conversation is like, it's not terrible. Like it's yeah. not a terrible movie. It's a pretty competent movie. Sidney Lumet, even phoning it in, cannot make it. Yeah, it's, no, a absolutely. Com- it's a pretty competent movie. Yeah. And like, it's pretty, it's not a embarrassing it's just like they're it's like ill-conceived and like you said it kind of as a throwaway in the beginning jason the idea that you know look he's directing a movie based on a script by the guy burlesque this is steve anton this is rob robin anton's brother this is like you know he's a he's like a, he's like a hollywood like yeah. a hollywood guy he's like a he's like he's like a where's the money where's the next deal yeah. so that you know it's 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 yeah, it was it was a poor marriage. Phil said the thing about how, you know, Lumet said, if I can't get a good script, I'm, I will direct any script. <laughs> this is fine. This is fine. This you is know, not like this is not like a world changing embarrassment for anybody. It's funny, Kenny, because I had the experience you thought you had. Mm-hmm. So I started at 25 mm-hmm. and now I'm up to 35. Yeah. So we kind of had the inverse I, you know, you had the I, experience I thought I had. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I, I didn't. I, 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 mean, I mean, did I hate this movie? It's hard to hate this movie just because, like, it's just it's kind of just 
it, it exists and it's, it's what it is. Um, I, I'm actually, you know, I've said this on previous episodes, but you know, we're, as you know, Jason, we're, 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 this is our last year of covering 1999. So we're, we are as Kenny, uh, likes to hear me say we're at the stems and seeds of the, <laughs> of the 1999 um and i do this like a that film you're that, right it was on here for four years of kenny and i being like i mean we'll get to it i get it you know what i mean like it's, the, yeah. it's so i didn't i had zero expectations for it and it's sometimes exceeded those expectations most of the time was right about where i expected it to be um but yeah i'm, I'm, I'm at a 35 what about you jason where are you I'm going to give it a 40. Okay. Um, and here's the little tiny edge that it gave me that, that it would have given you guys for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was researching my book. Yes, please. Uh, Fun City Fun Cinema. City. Cinema, yes. I want, New York yeah. City and the Movies That Made mm-hmm. It by Jason Bailey. Me, available now wherever fine books are sold. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons that I enjoyed the Casavetti's movie yes. so much in that process, revisiting it while I was writing the book, was that, you know, a, a key thing that I'm looking for when I'm watching all these movies is where is it? What's the look? What's the, you know? Um, and the thing that's so refreshing about the Casavetti's movies compared to almost everything that's happening in terms of New York cinema of the 70s and early 80s is that he shot uptown in Washington Heights, in the South Bronx, in these neighborhoods that nobody gave a shit enough to shoot about, to shoot in. In that period, everyone's shooting in Midtown or the Village. There's, there's, you know, there's the one movies. other guy who did it, though. Who's that? Who met? <laughs> well, yes. Yes. Which is ironic. Yeah. But uh, so I like I love that in that movie. And again, at the time I wrote the book, I was living in Washington Heights. Mm-hmm. And there is a very specific look to those neighborhoods to those bodegas, mm-hmm. to the, uh, the the hallways and stairways and floor tiles of these pre-war Washington Heights walk-ups that is unique to that area and that I appreciated that Casavetti's wanted just a different visual palette than the other New York movies of the time. That's one of the things I love about Gloria uh, 1980. I love that Lumet replicated that. Mm-hmm. I, I like looking at New York in this movie in a way that maybe only someone who spent several years writing a book about looking in New York movies would, sure. but I did. And like, and you, the, I, I can't remember which of you was saying, but like, yeah, like the street corner scenes, like the scenes out in front of the, of the apartment building and stuff like they just have that little buzz. They just, they yeah. sound, it sounds like Washington Heights sounds. And the whenever they're out on the Yeah. Street. I was going to say yeah. that the, 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 the restaurants feel like yeah. the kind of restaurants and you like, only see in New York. Yeah. Yes. And that's just, that's just muscle memory for Lumet. Like he can't shoot a movie in New York that doesn't feel like it's neighborhood. So on that, on that level, I really did appreciate that about it. I totally agree. On most other levels, it's, it's kind of. So Jason, I want to pivot to your book a little bit because uh, deeply fascinated by New York, New York filmmakers, New York on film. Uh, Give us just a little kind of what's your mission statement? What's your and 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 what are some some movies that maybe you uncovered or movies movies that are unexpectedly good uh, representations of of New York or interesting depictions? Right. Well, yeah. Well, no. I mean, Gloria was a big one, like I said, because of that sort of neighborhood element. the 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 the, the premise of the book, the sort of gimmick, is that it covers a hundred years of New York movies only that were shot in New York. And so it's all about movies that are made in New York that are sort of like 
accidental documentaries of the city nice. at that moment. So nothing that was a period piece, nothing that was, you know, shot in on an LA backlot pretending to be New York. Like filmmakers came here, put the camera down, shot on a New York street. It covers that hundred years in 10 chapters. Each chapter covers a decade focuses on like sort of a quintessential New York movie of that decade uh, and ties it into what was happening politically, socially, economically in the city's history at the time. So it's ultimately, it's kind of like a dual history of New York city and New York movies over this period. Um, so the, 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 the focal film for each one is sort of the one you would expect, you know, for, for the fifties, it's sweet smell of success for the sixties, it's been night cowboy for the seventies, it's taxi driver, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, but I, I do I, these, I have a question for you. Hmm. Yes. And it's sort of an impossible question, but perhaps you have the mm. answer to it. What <laughs> is your quintessential New York movie? What is the movie I, that when you say, when someone says New York movie, what is it for you? Taxi driver. I mean, like at, there was a point early on when I was workshopping the, the, the proposal with my, my agent. And he said, if you had to do it through the lens of a right. single movie, which one would it be? And it's, it's that one because that, that, and because that movie to me symbolizes so much of what I was trying to do with the book, which is the idea that no great New York movie exists in a vacuum and that the great New York movies are letting in through the sides of the frame, whatever was happening in the city at that moment. So like taxi driver is what it is because Martin Scorsese is a master filmmaker and Paul Schrader's script is airtight and the performances are incredible and it's got that creeping dread and so forth and so on. But so much of the atmosphere of that's what I love about it is because they were shooting it in the summer of 1975 when the city was coming apart at the seams, when there was a heat wave and there was a garbage strike and there were these massive budgetary cuts that led to all of these layoffs where like you're, you're, cops and firefighters were getting laid you're off. You're wearing the most incredible yeah. shirt right now, too. Thank you yes. so much. I, this is the Daily News City headline. Word yes. to City Drop yes. Dead. Available. That's, that's, uh, that's book and podcast merch available. At Deeply love that shirt. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, so that to me is like that, you know, and, and, and the reason that works is because the great New York filmmakers like Scorsese and Lee and Lumet, they let the city in like right. the, the city's going to, going to nose its way into your movie, whether you want it to or not. So they let it in. Right. They, 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 they give the space in the frame for whatever the mood of the city is at that moment to seep in. You know, and that's what's happening in the great New York movies. That's why Midnight Cowboy feels the way it does. That's why 25th Hour feels the way it does. That's why, you know, all of these films, that, that New Yorkiness that's so sort of hard to describe. It, it feels like, and this is trite to say because everyone says it, but when you let New York be a character in your movie, um, you as opposed to just sort of, and, and I, I, would, I would agree with any city for that matter. Do you know what I mean? Like when you allow your your city or your whatever to seep into it and really, really allow that. uh, It's huge. uh, It's it's huge. Kenny, what, what is your, I've never asked you, but what's your quintessential New York movie? What's the movie for you? What's so interesting is like, um, ever since we've done, ever since we did uh, do the right thing. Yeah. It has just overpowered me. It's overwhelmed me and nothing comes close. Um, Before, before do the right thing. Um, you know, embarrassingly, I probably would have said Manhattan for a while, sure. um, which I think does the thing you're talking about, Jason, as well as totally. any movie, really, that, that totally. the, the New Yorkiness of it is what I love. Mm-hmm. It's the movie that always made me, you know, when I, I moved to LA, like you, I moved here 17 years ago, and uh, that's the movie that always kind of made me feel nostalgic for a New York I never lived in. Um, Prince of the City is the other one. 
Like Prince of the City is an incredible New York movie. That and also, you know, a movie that I consider like almost a spiritual cousin, Pope of Greenwich Village. Like yep. those they those are also New York movies that feel um not I don't feel nostalgic for that time, but it feels like that's the New York that my dad lived in. That's the New York that I that that I know existed, but people don't yep. really tell you about that much. And yep. I I think a lot of the gangster stuff, yeah. New Yorky gangster stuff is is played a little too heightened for me to look at it as like a great New York thing. But I think those mm. two movies in particular feel uh, desperate in a yes. way that I believe exists. And then we've done a lot of other great New York stuff yeah. or we've talked about it. Like I think Sea of Love is a great, you know, kind of it New is. York movie in that kind of way that we're talking about. Yeah. And it feels so like- Do you think same- it's interesting, Kenny, that like, I agree with you 100% that the 89 miniseries that we did for our Patreon had better New York movies perhaps oh, than 99 did? Not surprising Without at all. Question. That's not I mean, surprising. Because the, other because one. the 19... 19- the 1980s New York was way more cinematic, was way more interesting, was way more dramatic, yeah. was way more textured. You know, the 90s are all about like Giuliani turning New York City into Disneyland. And then the, I mean, yes. And then the other thing that they mean to, to, you know, continue on the 89 thing is the movie I think you're alluding to is When Harry Met Sally, which is an incredible New York movie too. It's a, it, it's, it's lovely in its, um, Take this to the greatest salt in the, the the pedestrian nature of it. That this is a place where people live their lives. Yes. It doesn't always have to be guns and violence and terrorists. Yeah, like well, it's, it's also, like book. It's like bookstores and restaurants bookstores and, and sharper image. And, and, and it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, there's just something so great about it. Now, interestingly yeah. enough, I think the best New York movie of 1999 wouldn't qualify for your. Well, eyes wide shut that's correct yeah <laughs> so it, it, but it's this sort of dream vision of new york Nightmare which is its well. own in, yeah which is its own very interesting thing i think the artificiality of the new york in eyes wide shut is is on its own merits extremely interesting oh, it's, it's, yeah but there's another new york movie in 99 which would qualify i think being john malkovich mm-hmm. uh is that new york I think so. Uh, yeah, know, but yeah, yeah, there is because they dump them out on the Jersey Turnpike, and there is some cool like like stuff on the street with the marionettes. And yes, you're <laughs> right; that's a great answer too. Uh, I was thinking, uh, bringing out the bringing out the dead's a very oh, New sure, York, sure, movie. big time, sure. big yeah. time, very New York, yeah. New York at night, and you know the yeah. thing about New York is like, and you know this living there, Jason, is you just get used to sirens. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's just that is just the soundtrack sure of the city. This was the biggest adjustment that I had to make when I moved here was like, I would watch TV shows. I was really into Felicity. Did you guys watch yeah, Felicity? I love I loved, a whole miniseries, 99 miniseries. Oh my God. <laughs> I love Felicity. I, and, and it was fairly recent when I had moved here. And when they would do those scenes where they're like in the dorm or in the apartment and the windows are open and the sirens are so yeah. loud, I'm like, your, your sound effects people are overdoing this a I bit. Mean, the and then we, in Culver City? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then we moved here, and we moved to, like, Astoria, like, on Steinway Street. And, like, no, it sounds like that all night, all the fucking time. Like, Amazing. 100%. But I also want to say, yeah. just on the When Harry Met Sally thing really quickly, um, past and future guest Carrie Corrigan wrote an amazing piece for um, yes. Bright Screen, Dark Room, Bright Screen. Um, maybe it's Bright Screen, Dark Room, but either way. Um, uh, about how When Harry Met Sally was the movie that made her want to move to New York, right? Like, to your point, Kenny, it feels plausible. It feels like the New York 
that it, it's it, the most it fucking it, romantic right? version yes. of New York yes. there is. Yes. I mean, pre, you know, like. No, for, it's for, working yeah. that same vibe that Manhattan. Manhattan. I was going to say for better or it's, worse, I was a Woody but, Allen kid. But now yeah. it's but now it's not a creepy movie to watch. Like yeah. now it's a movie you can still yes. revisit and Absolutely. not feel like a terrible human. being. It is working that I, same vibe. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want time. to. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this film, but I'm curious. We're covering. We Kenny and I did an episode next week. We're we're releasing an episode on Twin Falls, Idaho. You ever see that movie, Jason? Do you know this movie? The the Polish the brothers. Polish brothers. Yeah. Yes, I did. I I mean, I saw it on VHS right. when Back I was in working the in the video store, same. and I don't think I've seen it since. I I had the exact same experience that you did. Um, and yeah. we rewatched it and did an episode together. Um, just Kenny and I, no guest. Um, and. Uh, it was a really, I thought it was a great episode. Um, it's a great movie. It's a, it's a movie that um, is a little tricky to, to watch. You can watch it on Crackle uh, or it's on YouTube. Um, yeah. but I, would, I would suggest watching it on Crackle because the YouTube version doesn't look great. Um, but yeah, just a, kind of a fascinating career from these two guys that really had a moment that didn't totally didn't right. totally capture what maybe they were going for. Um, but they did this film, then they did a couple other films, um, and we walked through their filmography. But um, but just a really interesting, lovely kind of snapshot of kind of indie, esoteric indie cinema at the end of the 90s and how it didn't really exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you had that... Right. Mid, mid, late, mid nineties boom. And then they were kind of at the tail end of it. Um, but, uh, but a really interesting film about, uh, about these two uh, uh, Siamese twins. Um, so yeah, uh, you saw it back in the day. You don't really remember it. I'm assuming. I just, I remember it having a, I mean, like we discussed earlier, so much of nineties indie cinema was so derivative right. was people right. trying yes. to be Quentin Tarantino right. or trying to be the Coen brothers or totally. trying to be, you know, some other sort of indie stalwart of the moment. And I remember feeling like Twin Falls was distinctively its own thing. Yes. There's like a little bit of Lynch in it. Yeah, a it little... starts Lynchy and then it, it kind of yeah, becomes its own thing. It, yeah. almost, it almost is purposely teasing you yeah. with yes. the idea that it's going to be Lynchian and then it becomes very not Lynchian, yeah. right? It, yeah. it, 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 it like acknowledges that the premise is out of a Lynchian film, yeah. but then it's like, oh no, we are living in the real world. Deal with that. Yeah. So I remember seeing it and loving it and then not seeing the next couple ones. And then I saw one North that, no, I didn't. I never made it to that. I saw the one that's at a high school reunion oh. and it was not good at all. And I was like, what happened to these they guys? They're, they're, Kenny and I like talked Sean, about this in the Sean Astin is in it and Chevy oh, no. Chase plays the high school principal. God, what is that what movie? What is called? this movie? I that sounds, um, that sounds it's, rough. It's, it's really not, not good at all. Um, we and, talked, but then, yeah. And then I saw the only other movie of theirs that I saw was The Astronaut Farmer. We were just going to say which, that was the. Which yeah. I thought was fine, which was fine. Was like charming enough little movie. But that but needed certainly... to be the movie, yeah. right? Like that needed yes. to take them to the next level yes. and it never happened. What is this Chevy yes. Chase movie, though? I'm curious. Hold on. I'm, I'm pulling it up. You know, I didn't say this on the episode, Phil, but it just kind of occurred to me. The, yeah. the Polish brothers really needed a champion. They really yeah. needed either a, a major director or a or major producer. film critic or a producer. But it, I think in their... Roger Ebert loved their yes. stuff. Yes. I remember him giving both he, that and Norfolk. He should have been louder. 
Like he was, uh, <laughs> stay cool. That's what it's called. Stay, stay cool. cool. 2009. And like, oh. I think, yeah. And Mark was like the star of it also. Oy. And it mm. had Winona Ryder, Sean Astin, Ugh. Hillary Duff, Josh Holloway, John Cryer, Chevy Chase. Good cast. Francis Conroy. It is a good cast. That's why I saw it. It's so bad. They lost it's their way. It's so, so They really did lose their way. You're, you're absolutely right, though, Kenny. If, if they, they had some major so champion, champion yeah. who, like, uh, I don't know who the person would be, but almost like a Bombach Gerwig yeah. thing yeah. where someone just recognized them, because I think Twin Falls is, Twin Falls, Idaho yeah. is brilliant, but also, like, you know, they just could have had, they, they really could have had an incredible career if they had a Sherpa and they didn't. What are you going to do? do? They, you're going to do the astronaut farmer. That's what you're going right? to do. <laughs> Jason, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking with us. Um, everyone should go by your book and follow you on Twitter. Jason, um, this was an absolute blast. There is fun, the fun city, city cinema. cinema. Jason, let me tell you New York city and the movies that made it. I, I, I would also like to mention, yes. uh, we do have a podcast also. That's a companion podcast. Oh, good. Also, I was going to tell you fun that city you cinema. should podcast about this. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we did a 10 episode series that, that is about some of the stories we tell in the book at greater length. Some stuff there wasn't room for in the book. When you mentioned do the right thing, I would say like, that's our first episode is about the, the real life incidents of police brutality oh, wow. that inspired Spike Lee to write that script initially. And then it co- sort of continues to reverberate. Jason, I did something on this podcast I've never done before. What's that? While I was on the podcast, podcasting, I went and bought yes. the person, the guest's book hey. on Amazon. I love I, it. I was, I was sold. You sold me. So Kenny, I am very excited. Immense. I'm very, oh, wait, hey, look, I, 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 an incidental mensch. Because I, <laughs> I don't do anything for mentioning this. I only did it because I want to read it. You know? Uh, so I, yeah, I did. I, I went to Amazon, bought your book. I, I hope you all buy the book because we can, we can do a podcast about the book without Jason you know pluses and minuses about his right <laughs> yes I, i'm very I'll much give it the one to very much looking yeah, forward yeah. to reading it it was pitched directly to my cerebral cortex this is uh <laughs> this was a blast we hope that you'll come back for we're, we're doing Absolutely. 2009 on our patreon so um you know we'd love to have Absolutely. you come back and talk with us again but this was a this was absolutely a joy thank you so much yeah thanks right. jason thank take you care guys. Right. talk to you soon bye Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.